Hello and welcome to Stick Together, bringing you union news and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm Matt Conkle. This week on the show, we bring you a story of global solidarity and struggle. Transnational company International Terminal Container Services Incorporated, or ICTSI, is one of the world's fastest growing stevedoring companies. Based in the Philippines, they operate an expansive network of terminals across 17 nations. We will talk with maritime union members from Indonesia and Madagascar. They will highlight just two examples of ICTSI's reckless disregard for both national laws and the human right to collectively bargain. But first, some union news. Work Commission has handed down a ruling in the family violence test case. The Australian Council of Trade Unions had filed an application for the inclusion of 10 days of paid leave per year for people experiencing family violence. This leave would be used for the purpose of attending to activities related to the experience of being subjected to family and domestic violence. The Commission acknowledged that it was necessary to make provision for family and domestic violence leave, but dismissed the ACTU's application for such leave to be paid, opting instead to make it unpaid leave. The full bench's decision does not close the door on future inclusion of paid leave, but it provides those experiencing family violence with little comfort, leaving them to largely fend for themselves in an already stressful and financially difficult situation. Unions argue that family violence requires a workplace response. This is Victorian Trades Hall Council lead women's organiser Lisa Heap. It's been accepted that um, the work, workplace should uh, provide an appropriate response, but unfortunately those for those people, they'll have to use either unpaid leave or access their uh, personal leave, including their sick leave, in order to take leave for those purposes. So it means that for women who are the majority of people who are subjected to family violence, they'll be running down their leave balances, particularly their sick leave, in order to um, be able to handle the issues that are associated with um, their experience of family violence. The Commission will now seek submissions from interested parties on how best to introduce the new entitlement for unpaid family and domestic violence leave into awards. In more news out of the Fair Work Commission this week, the ACTU has won a landmark decision about the rights of casuals to transfer to permanent work. Casuals and other forms of precarious employment have continued to rise as employers seek a compliant and desperate workforce in order to drive down wages and maximise their profits. There is a whole generation of workers who have never had a job that entitles them to paid sick days or a paid holiday. The pendulum has swung too far towards flexibility at the expense of fairness and job security. In a long-awaited decision, a full bench of the Fair Work Commission has ruled that casuals who work regular hours over a long period must be provided the opportunity to convert their employment into permanent jobs. ACTU Secretary Sally McManus said, quote, While the Commission accepted the ACTU's argument around the impact casualisation has on families' lives, it is unable to address the bigger problem. We need political action to achieve that. With more than 20% of the workforce casually engaged, this is a small step forward in addressing the growing inequality born out of the rise in insecure forms of work. The Turnbull government is pressing ahead with its controversial PATH program. Employment Minister Senator Michaelia Cash has announced a deal with retail employers. This deal will take 10,000 jobs otherwise covered by minimum employment standards and turn them into exploitative internships where workers will be paid as little as $4 an hour. These internships come with no guarantee of appropriate training or even a job at the conclusion of the 12 weeks. 
At $4 an hour, it's barely enough to cover bus fare there and back. Moreover, companies will receive $1,000 up front for each worker they exploit in this way. Here is ACTU President Jed Carney speaking after the announcement. Now let's be very clear about what this program is doing. It's offering our young people, young people desperate for a job, it's offering them as free labour. This is exploitation. This is government sanctioned program that actually borders on slavery. Of the more than 620 interns that have completed the program since April this year, only 82, less than one in seven, has secured any form of ongoing work from the program. This program will do nothing to address rising inequality, putting a further handbrake on wages and making life even more difficult for unemployed workers. Prison officers at Queensland's Arthur Gorry Correctional Centre found themselves on the wrong side of the bars last week as their employer, private prison operator GEO, locked them out as enterprise bargaining negotiations escalated. In addition to the pay dispute, union members have raised concerns about mismanagement, nepotism and incidents of violence against prisoners. They have also raised safety concerns due to the overcrowding leading to rising prisoner-to-guard ratios. In May, 174 of the guards signed a petition calling on the company GEO to be removed and for the Queensland Correctional Service to retake control of the facility. The guards are members of United Voice and have now not had a pay rise for more than two years. In response to planned strike action by guards, the prison has been placed into lockdown and guards refuse entry to the facility. The jail is Queensland's second largest and holds about 900 prisoners, 180 of whom are in maximum security. A recent Queensland government audit revealed that it is 22% above its capacity. This overcrowding puts both guards and prisoners at risk. The upcoming cricket tour of South Africa has been cancelled after an unprecedented boycott by the Players' Union, the ACA. Australia's elite cricketers, both men and women, have been locked in a bitter paywall with the sport's governing body, Cricket Australia. The continued corporatisation of sport has led to increased industrial disputes among sport professionals. In 2015, the Australian women's soccer side went on strike for better pay, boycotting a tour of the US and causing its cancellation. This is the first time the Australian national cricket side has gone on strike. The Cricket Australia board is chaired by David Peaver, the former managing director of Rio Tinto, whose anti-union tendencies are well known. The failure to renegotiate the pay deal by June 30 leaves Australia's top 200 cricketers effectively unemployed. The dispute centres on the board's demand that instead of player pay being linked to total revenue generated by the game, that it be linked to Cricket Australia's surplus revenue. This effectively means that the cricketers would get whatever is left after Cricket Australia had spent as much as it wanted to on whatever it wanted to. Without cricketers, there is no cricket. The board's proposal to share only the scraps is an insult. Peaver also wants to move away from collective bargaining to a system of individual player contracts. But he has been unable to break the unity of the players, despite pressure coming from many angles. A two-test tour of Bangladesh and this summer's Ashes series remain in limbo as neither side appears ready to give in. Health workers in the community in the regional New South Wales town of Wyong are celebrating victory, having prevented the privatisation of the local hospital. After more than 10 months of campaigning, the New South Wales Liberal government has relented, backing down on plans to redevelop the hospital as a public-private partnership. Here's New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association councillor Michelle Cashman speaking at a victory rally at the front of the hospital. Isn't it the most wonderful day? Amazing how a whole incredible bunch of people from our community, our nurses, our doctors, our PSAs, our cleaners, everybody, and all these amazing community people have stood together and the people power has come through. Thank you so much to everybody. 
health unions and the peak body Unions New South Wales continues to campaign against the Liberal government's plans to privatise two other hospitals, one in Maitland and the other in Shell Harbour. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Globalisation has created new opportunities for the capital class to ignore, bend or break labour laws and to exploit the weakest links in worker organisations. The only solution to global capitalism is meaningful international solidarity. Transnational companies shift operations offshore or threaten to do so in an attempt to force workers into concessions, pitting workers of one nation against their sisters and brothers overseas. Worse yet, companies seek to operate in areas where they can breach national laws and international labour conventions with impunity. This week we bring you a story of struggle and solidarity that stretches across the Indian Ocean and beyond. Dock workers in three continents fighting against a common foe. ICTSI is one of the world's fastest-growing stevedoring companies and has a record of lawlessness and violations of labour rights in developing nations. It now threatens to gain a foothold here in Australia. Sydney-based campaign director of the International Transport Federation, Shannon O'Keefe, explains how ICTSI has grown both in size and as a threat to dock unions. ICTSI is a Philippine-based port company and over the last five to ten years they've expanded to other ports around the world and the first ports they went to outside of the Philippines were what we would call discreetly niche ports, places like Basra in Iraq, Syria, the Democratic Republic of Congo. So quite challenging port environments that potentially other port operators wouldn't touch because of the nature of the operations there. And what we've seen happen over the last five years in particular is they've started to bid for ports in established markets. This is a company that's a force to be reckoned with because they are the fastest growing of all the global terminal operators. But more importantly, they, they have the highest profitability of any of the terminal operators. And that's a quite dangerous combination because it means that they've got the capacity to grow. But also their growth model is something that looks a lot different to some of the more established players that we have relationships with. And what makes ICTSI such a threat? In part because of their aggressive stance towards industrial relations uh, and also because the business model that they have. So what we're seeing around the world, and this is true in Indonesia, it's true in Madagascar, is a very small, uh, higher paid, direct hire workforce and a very large uh, labour hire workforce who are chronically underemployed, who compete for shifts against each other and then a lot of outsourcing, so a very different model. They're a company that has very little union exposure. In the company's annual report, they say they have quite high union density, but what we found as we've gone around is that a lot of those unions are company unions. Setting up company, or yellow unions, is only one tactic employed by ICTSI. Indonesian dock workers have been locked in struggle against ICTSI for years now, with the company routinely flouting the laws of Indonesia and stifling the rights of workers to organise. This is Didik Norianto, General Secretary of the FBTPI, a union of maritime workers with members at the port of Jakarta. Didik, thank you very much for joining us on Stick Together. Um, Can you start by explaining your current struggle with ICTSI? Before OJA was taken over, it was part of the company Tempura Nemas, a domestic company. In July 2012, it was taken over by ICTSI. Six months we were waiting, 123 members joined the union. We demanded firstly that our employment status, we demanded firstly about our employment status, secondly about overtime that had not been paid correctly or at all, and thirdly about the underpayment of base wages. 
In 2013, all our demands were met. We also had casual members. We prioritised them. If operators had been the priority then, in the future casual workers would have faced difficulties. So we prioritised casual workers before becoming permanent employees, so then operators and others would follow. Then there were also operators. From the period of the, of the previous director, there had been overtime not paid correctly. We tried to discuss this with the company to resolve this issue of the 33 operators before we took it to the Ministry of Manpower. The operators were not getting paid properly for the overtime. They were only receiving the base wage. For two years, there was no explanation from management. Then in February 2015, the operators who had all been in the union began leaving the union because of the intimidation. So only 12 operators remained in the union. At that time in February, management also introduced a system that was in line with the law so that overtime would be paid properly. They also gave the opportunity for the unionised operators to sign an agreement that said they would no longer raise issues about overtime pay. Eight refused to sign and remained in the union and took the, the issue to the Ministry of Manpower. The Ministry of Manpower issued a decision that the company must, pa must back pay from October 2011 to February 2015. In May this year, that decision was made, but up until now, it has not been realised. What type of intimidation and reprisals did the workers face for organising? Coming to the union members one by one, trying to intimidate them, especially the operators, to try and convince them to not be involved. The operators were the target because the company realises that if the operators stop work, when, then operations are paralysed. So the company is found to have breached the law. What is the union doing now to advance its struggle? The truck drivers are outsourced. We had said this goes against the law, but they continued to do this. 19 outsourced truck drivers, they joined the union. We struggled for 15 of them to become permanent employees. These 15 were called up by the outsourcing management, intimidated, told to leave the union or their contract would not be renewed. Seven left the union, eight remained, and we took their case to the Ministry of Manpower who ruled that OJA must make those eight people permanent employees. No response from OJA, so the ministry issued another notice. OJA management claimed they were not OJA employees, so not their issue. Before it went to the ministry, the union had tried to hold bipartite discussions with management. At the first meeting, the OJA director recognised that they would be made permanent employees. But in a follow-up meeting, management backed down from this position, so the union had to take it to the Ministry of Manpower. We continue to pressure the ministry to issue further direction for the company to follow the law. Repeated appeals to the Indonesian government by the union have not yielded results. Despite rulings that the company has breached the law, underpaid staff and wrongfully outsourced jobs, the Indonesian government appears either unwilling or unable to compel ICTSI to comply with the court rulings. ICTSI workers are paid as little as 16 US dollars a week. This is less than half of what other workers at the same docks receive. There are also reports of forced overtime and harsh, dangerous working conditions. Australian trade unionists took the opportunity of a recent visit by the Indonesian Minister for National Planning to pursue justice for the Indonesian dockers. Protests followed the minister around the country, culminating in the disruption of a corporate breakfast in Melbourne. It was not the first time Australian unionists had taken up the plight of ICTSI dockers. Earlier this year, protests in Sydney sought to amplify the actions of Madagascan dock workers Workers, members of the union Sigma, who are also locked in a battle with ICTSI. I'm uh, the general secretary of uh, Sigma Union. And then in 2003, um, I've been elected as a general secretary. We are organizing seafarers, fishermen and uh, dockers. Can you give us a quick overview of why you are struggling against ICTSI? 
The main problem is our 43 doctors who are part of casual workers doing the job for ICTSA at the port of Thomas have been sacked because they did join our union in 2012. And what happened after the workers were fired? Uh, after that, um, we did put the case before the labor inspection first. Uh, we've got a uh, favorable uh, decision from uh, the labor inspectorate. Then we did put the case before court because at this time, the general manager of the subcontractor working with ICTSA has refused to meet us and has refused to comply with um, labor inspections recommendation to reinstate our 43 doctors. So after the case was won and the company continued to refuse to reinstate the workers, what happened next? We went to court and uh, we've got a positive result uh, with a decision asking to uh, SMMC, the subcontractor with ICTSA, to reinstate our 43 dockers and uh, to allow our union be established at the port of Tomasina. But uh, the general manager of SMMC refused to enforce this court decision. And then we we decided to approach the justice minister and the labor minister who have issued official letter uh, requesting SMMC to reinstate our 43 dockers in 2013 without any positive reaction from SMMC. So the union has targeted ICTSI's clients like Esprit and Levi Strauss. Why did you do yes. that? Why did you do that? And what has been the result? We uh, engage with step because um, we think as a stakeholder of ICTSA uh, services, those company use also our dockers to uh, unload and unload uh, their um, manufactured uh, pieces in Madagascar from the port of Tomasna to everywhere uh, like USA and Europe for um, customers. So we've got a kind of um, support letter from them asking to ICTSA to recognize our union rights and also to recognize that our 43 dockers and finally dismissed shall be reinstated. So the 43 dockers who have been unfairly dismissed from the ports, what are they doing now? We continue to support them every year, every month. If we had an occasion to raise the problem for public understanding, we make it happen. Uh, mainly each uh, uh, Labor Day celebration, we, we made... Uh, rally from uh, the port to the office of uh, um, regional um, labor minister in Thomasina. This year, uh, we came at the beginning uh, of June in Tananarive with our 43 dockers before labor uh, minister house and the labor um, uh, and the transport minister house and also to meet uh, our um, parliament president. Lucien, what started the organizing drive? Was it pay or was it conditions or was it both? Well, both because, you know, it happened uh, five years ago 
One docker died after uh, unloading container at the port. So we did ask to uh, ICTSA and SMMC to look after the family of uh, this docker who has found death uh, during the exercise of uh, his work at the port. So we did co- we did uh, start by that. Uh, there is a lot of uh, working conditions who are not. Uh, I can say uh, in line with uh, security and safety uh, uh, management. And how do the wages that ICTSI pay compare to other companies at the docks? I can say uh, ICTSA pay the worst low pay if we compare with the others. International, there is a great number of casual workers who have been denied to become permanent. ICTSA since uh, its establishment at the port of Thomasson has got uh, huge benefit from our dockers. Our main goal, our first goal, is to uh, ask for the reinstatement of our 43 dockers. Then we have to negotiate uh, 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 an agreement with ICTS and SMMC about uh, uh, their wages. Dock workers in Indonesia are in a fight with the same company. Do you have a message for the members of the FBTPI? Yes, uh, I'm calling to the understanding of CTSA. Wherever they are established, if there is even one worker who has a struggle with them, Sigma and its members are supporting this person. Uh, we continue our fight until justice uh, come for ICTSA workers. You're listening to Stick Together on the Community Radio Network. The similarities between the two struggles are no coincidence. There are sackings, threat to workers, and the suppression and non-payment of wages. Despite multiple decisions by courts and labor tribunals that its actions breach national laws, ICTSI continues to utilize these union-busting tactics as part of its business strategy. Even when the rules favor the workers, ICTSI simply evades or ignores them. When national laws fail to protect the interests of workers, it is only the collective power of those workers organizing globally that can defeat transnational capital. ITF Campaign Director Shannon O'Keefe again. What's happening with globalisation is that those national jurisdictions are increasingly less relevant and companies are unregulated at a global level. The challenge for for all unionists, not just the International Transport Workers Federation, but anyone that wants to challenge globalisation is how do we provide a response to that when organising at a national level is no longer a really relevant way of doing that on its own? So it's a necessary but not sufficient uh, organising strategy. ICTSI are starting to establish themselves in Australian ports. Do Australian unionists need to be vigilant? Do they pose a threat to the prevailing conditions locally? Oh, absolutely. ICTSI bought into the third operator in Melbourne a few years ago, and they're operational now. They have It's a fully automated port, and it's the single largest investment that the company's made, and it's an investment of over $700 million dollars. Uh, It's a problem because the company is aggressive in other ports, so there's nothing to suggest that they wouldn't be similarly aggressive here and attempt to use industrial relations practices and changes to those practices or changes to what you'd see standards in other Australian ports as a key source of their business advantage and a way of making profit. Um, uh, And Australian unions should be concerned because of their track record around the world. 
what we've seen in Indonesia, what we've seen in Madagascar, what we've seen in the other ports in South America that we've had contact with is that this is a company that is very aggressive uh, towards its workforce uh, and does whatever it can to drive down costs and doesn't seem to value having a relationship uh, with legitimate trade unions. So, Shannon, what are the components of the ITF's campaign against this company? We have a pretty simple methodology, and that is we are going to grow democratic, effective, representative unions that are active on the ground in key countries. So we've got live campaigns in two sites in Indonesia, one in uh, Madagascar. We are looking at places in Eastern Europe, and we're having conversations about South America. Uh, and those workplaces have to be able to run workplace campaigns that resolve issues for themselves. Um, the campaign is really about building activists, supporting those activists and building strong unions and then linking those workers up as a key source of power, sharing information about what goes on at each site, but more importantly, uh, moving workers to take action in support of each other's issues. And in the campaign so far, workers in Madagascar, some of whom get paid around 50 US dollars a month, have taken action in support of workers uh, in Indonesia. And actually, interestingly, in the Fairfax dispute um, a couple of months ago, the Madagascan workers took action in support of the um, Sydney Morning Herald journalists. And for them, they get what globalisation means. They see that as their in global organising. They see global organising as their chance to deal with some pretty tricky power imbalances, both at a domestic level, where you've got a, a less than democratic government, where the workers in Madagascar, for instance, have a court order that requires the company to send uh, sacked workers back to work and also requires the company to recognise the union, neither of which has happened. So the government and the employer have either been unwilling or unable to enforce that court order. These workers get in Madagascar, and this is true in Indonesia and the other countries that we go to, that they will be more powerful if they stand in unity and take action with workers at other ICTSI sites around the world. And what they also know when we've been linking workers up is that the practices that you see in one part of the world are pretty similar to the practices that you see in other parts of the world. Uh, and when you see that, workers get to understand that that means that there's nothing special about them in terms of the way that they're being treated. It's a business model for that company and their only response to challenging that business model is to globally campaign with other workers. You can find out more about the campaign against ICTSI by visiting www.justice4docworkers.org. That's the word for, not the number. That's all we have time for on this week's show. A very special thanks to Vivian Honan and Amy Jenkins for assistance with translation. Stick Together is produced in the Melbourne studios of 3CR and broadcast nationally by the Community Radio Network. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can either call us on 03 9419 or drop us a line at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. The podcast of this show and other recent episodes can be found online at 3cr.org.au forward slash stick together this week we'll finish the show with the sounds of a recent meeting of the madagascan 43 who despite their long struggle remain defiant and songfully so before we go remember no matter where you work or what you do there is a union for you i've been matt kunkel until next time stick together